Rwanda in 1994, uh, there was the genocide. A million people were slaughtered in a hundred days, not just by militia groups or an army, um, but by their neighbors with machetes. And while many have produced political and sociological descriptions of this event, almost everyone you ask in Rwanda, both perpetrators and victims, would say that the event occurred covered in spiritual evil, palpable evil. And I've seen the scars of that evil written into the flesh of my friends and buried in mass graves. If you go to the genocide memorial in Kigali, there are 250,000 bodies buried under that place. What happened wasn't just political or social failure. It was demonic. The manifestation of layers of spiritual political evil that first created and calcified false political identities, Hutu, Tutsi, Twa. Two, it sowed fundamental distrust between neighbors based on those false political identities. Radio and media and tragically churches played significant parts in alienating people from one another. And three, it instilled, instilled a sense of hopelessness that things could ever change making people see violence as the only course of action left to them. And all of that was evil. For a little over a week now, all of us have been reeling in the aftermath of an attack at the heart of our republic, the storming of the Capitol. The image of a Confederate flag inside our Capitol building will be seared into my mind waving alongside Christian symbols and a giant wooden cross. In my time as serving as your pastor, our nation has experienced heartache, anxiety, pandemic polemics, which ought to disturb each and every one of us. We watched George Floyd die on camera. We saw peaceful protesters assaulted and rioters looting businesses all across the United States this summer. Antifa taking over a whole neighborhood in Washington and MAGA resorting to violence last week. We have seen the most powerful person in the world falsely question the legitimacy of our democratic election and then an attempted violent insurrection with inadequate resistance from law enforcement. Today, I want to talk about spiritual evil, the demonic. And while I do not think that our country is in danger of experiencing a genocide like Rwanda or anything even remotely close to it, we can feel acutely the presence and pressure of that same personal evil. And as Christians, we should recognize the presence and power of that evil because it allows us to guard our own hearts, minds, and lives while learning to love our enemies and pursue peace. And so today we'll do three things. First, I want to look at what scripture teaches us about spiritual evil. Two, I want to examine why this matters for our cultural moment. And three, explore 
how we are called to resist evil in our personal and communal lives. First, what does scripture teach us about spiritual evil? Well, let's start with our reading from Ephesians 6 this morning. A letter Paul writes, from prison, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, Paul casts a vision of a cosmic struggle between powers and authorities in spiritual battle, one that Christ has already been assured victory in through the resurrection, but which rages on all the same until its ultimate conclusion when all things are put under Christ's feet. The evil we are speaking about are demons that serve the devil, an evil with both will and intellect which possesses discreet and malicious purposes in the world around us and who are adept at corrupting the good things of God to serve their purposes. And Paul says, look, these these are our real enemies. They lurk in the background and push against us from outside and within. They are cunning and determined, and they work on a both personal and cosmic systemic level. Now, this may seem absolutely hokey and ridiculous to you, and that's okay. When I started graduate school at Duke, I had come to believe in some sort of amorphous evil, like the dark side of the force, if you will, because somehow it just felt more respectable. respectable. And then a friend of mine, uh, we were taking a C.S. Lewis class, and we were reading the screw tape letters, and a friend of mine, both significantly better read and more intelligent than I am, cornered me in a coffee shop about this view, and he demolished me. There is no way to read scripture other than seeing a spiritual world where evil has distinct personality, will, and intellect. And to mince words on this is simply to equivocate, to be fooled. There are real foes that are in, behind, within the world around us. And in our gospel reading today, we have just one of the many accounts of Jesus casting out such an actor, a demon. We see this in the book of Acts as well. The spiritual evil is so pernicious because it is also ubiquitous. In our reading from Genesis, we have the story of two brothers, Cain, jealous and angry. He is plotting evil in his heart and the Lord comes to him and pleads with him. What does he say? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So is it Cain or evil that causes this violence against his brother? The answer is yes. Cain is both a person with agency in this violence, and he is also devoured by it. The word crouching usually refers to a lion or a predator ready to pounce on its prey. And first Peter picks up on this theme unmistakably. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, deliver us from evil. But you could just as easily translate that line, deliver us from the evil one, which is what they say in the Lord's Prayer in Rwandan and Ugandan English services, probably many others around the world. The ever-lucid Eugene Peterson uh, in the message paraphrases it, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And taking these all together, we should see in this world both active forces of intelligent evil and individual and systemic complicity with that evil. Our physical world is not hermetically sealed off against the spiritual. As sacramental Christians, we believe the exact opposite. We know that the physical and spiritual realities coexist in all things. Worship is the directing of our lives and bodies toward the triune God and the lifting up of our physical, spiritual creation toward him in thanksgiving. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, directs the world towards its proper end, which is worship. And in the same manner, idolatry and evil and the actors that promote them turn our world away from worship. That is what scripture calls anti-Christ. Persons and beings that move creation in the inverse direction toward desolation and violence and ultimately toward the nothing out of which God created. And this is not new. Paul and the other New Testament authors see in the persecution of Christians, themselves included, the powers and principalities of the world working against Christ's redemptive purposes. However, this can, and this can't be emphasized enough, this, this spiritual evil has already been defeated in Christ. This is why we make such a big deal of the Easter Vigil, right? This is the moment when Christ has already overcome evil. The head of the servant has already bitten his heel and he has already crushed its head. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Christ has overcome the world. Christ is the beginning and the end. Evil in our world is like a chicken running around with its head already lopped off. Sure, it's moving quickly, but its end is determined. Which brings us to two. Why does any of this matter for our particular cultural moment? Well, a few months ago, just before this election, I preached a sermon outlining the basic understanding of Christian political philosophy, which might be summarized as follows. Jesus is Lord, and all political institutions and figures, while important for this earthly city, are imperfect and should never be understood as perfectly representing God or the kingdom of God in our world. We can't identify some party or government as God's party or government. But rather, we should see that all governments and all leaders are broken people who can, to greater and lesser extents, rule with justice and exhibit virtue. We have a role to play in pursuing peace in our earthly city, praying for those 
who are imperfect, but in leadership and authority over us. Christian nationalism, like that put on blatant display at the Capitol, is a form of idolatry. It far too often baptizes a political ideology, party, and leader as God's candidate, and thus maps spiritual realities onto political conflicts in black and white ways. And this is dangerous. It's dangerous in the extreme and should be rebuked in the strongest possible terms. Jesus said we will know his disciples by their fruit. And in this case, the fruit of this Christian nationalism is hatred, violence, and falsehood, a rejection of reality and the truth. That being said, in the same way, we do not identify any particular people or political group as representing God in, this, in some simple way. We should not also over-identify others with the devil. The widespread conspiracy theory, QAnon, does just this. It maps spiritual satan satanic evil onto a political party, the Democratic Party. And doing so makes their violence, the violence that we saw at the Capitol, intelligible. To do this takes the spiritual language of scripture that we just talked about and uses it as justification for the hatred and violence against others. And that is a profound misunderstanding of what scripture gives us. It's frightening and evil itself. But in an important way, we also should not demonize those people at the Capitol as being perfectly evil themselves. We would be guilty of the same sin they've just committed. We have to see in each and every one of the people around us both a capacity for good made from the image of God and also an ability for us to be deceived and led astray. This is the very extreme example of rhetorical climate and culture that has grown up all around us. We increasingly find ourselves segmented into tribes and increasingly unable to imagine the lives and views of people in other tribes and walks of life. We read different media material, we make different jokes and laugh at different types of people. And this is not to say that all perspectives have an equal basis in truth or reality, because obviously they don't. But it does mean that we are increasingly fragmented, which is dangerous. And as Christians, we should recognize that no government or group of people represents the kingdom of God, nor are they wholly evil or wrong. Rather, everyone is made in the image of God, broken by sin and susceptible to intelligent evil forces in the world. Forces that desire destruction, chaos, and violence. The war of all against all. When Paul says that we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, he's laying out a theological framework where we can love others, especially our enemies. Remember that Paul was vicious and violent before encountering Christ, but called for Christians to do good to those who persecute him, them, after meeting Christ. This is a transformation in Paul's own life. When we recognize the role spiritual evil plays in our world, it allows us to see our enemies as people we long to be redeemed 
rather than destroyed. It means that our ultimate struggle is not with our enemy in front of us or the people in the tribe we disagree with, but the spiritual evil which all of us are tempted and infected by. In short, when we recognize demonic activity in our world, it allows us to have empathy even for, especially for, people who have allowed for evil and hate to possess their hearts, minds, and actions. And this is why Christ prays while hanging on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It also means that we do not need to pick sides. Let me repeat that. It also means that we should not pick sides simply. The devil wants nothing more than for us to hold our political or social identities as primary to our lives. Anything that says you're either with us or against us, you either buy into all of the rhetoric or none of the rhetoric at all, should be profoundly questioned. Jesus says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy violence. And the devil, the devil is the father of lies. Hatred and lies are the calling cards of evil. And they are not isolated to any particular political group or political leaning. The devil will take any and every and all opportunities to spread lies and promote hatred, bitterness, and violence. And pitting racial or political identities against one another fits the bill perfectly. It does not matter the group or the cause, everyone and everything can be twisted and manipulated and used, especially good things, things that have power. The madness of crowds stirred up by tribal hatred for one another are the breeding grounds of evil. Places where truths are twisted into lies to suit our own rhetorical purposes. Places where blame for the ills of our common life can far too easily be mapped onto those people. Those Antifa left people. Those crazy MAGA people. And everything in between. But that brings us to our final point. How? How are we supposed to resist spiritual evil in our individual and common life? Well, now here is where things really get real for us, where the rubber meets the road. Paul asks us to do something, but what is it? What does Paul ask us to do? What is the armor that he asks us to put on? Truth, goodness and righteousness, salvation, knowledge of the word of God, faith and readiness, which comes from peace. Paul is saying to put on the armor of God, be honest, live with integrity, which is righteousness, put on salvation in Christ, Trust Christ's victory, seek peace and pursue it, and know scripture. You see, in the end, Paul's message is designed to show how incredibly important these seemingly basic and simple things are for our spiritual life. 
for our protection from evil. Paul is showing us that the real work of resisting evil, even great cosmic evil, happens in the very fabric of our lives. The very best defense for spiritual attack is a daily commitment to growing in the character of Christ in you and committing ourselves to examine our minds, hearts, and souls daily. Resisting evil starts not with people out there that we have to fight against, but in each of us. In our current situation, putting on the armor of God might mean the following. First, be deeply and steadfastly, uncompromisingly committed to truth-telling. Because when evil comes, and it will to each and every one of us, it will whisper that we ought to bend the truth just five degrees in our direction for some greater good or some rhetorical purpose. But don't do it. Put on the belt of truth. Truth telling the truth will make us unpopular because naming the truth wherever we find it will make us look like traitors to whatever tribe we hang out with. That truth telling requires that we be lovers of nuance and carefully to deliberate complex realities. It requires us to forsake easy conclusions for careful discernment we should always be conscious of our own vulnerability to deception and even more to our willingness to be deceived if it reinforces our own presuppositions. Doing this, that truth-telling resists temptation. Truth-telling, especially inconvenient, costly truth-telling, is a way that we resist the devil. Tell the truth. Two, refuse to let the poisons of hatred and bitterness infect your heart, mind, and soul. Refuse violence. We can let our tempers and affections get the best of us. And social media has a virtual mob effect. And we can lose our senses. We should put on the breastplate of righteousness, which may mean that we become righteously indignant about certain things, but never hateful. And there is a very important difference between those two things, because one can be a component of active love for another. When you are righteously indignant, you pursue the love of another for truth, But you cannot do that if you're hateful. So refuse to let poisons of hatred and bitterness infect your heart. Three, trust Christ's victory and have hope. I I cannot stress enough how important this is. Hopeless people act out of despair and not out of love. Our world may not have trust that Christ has conquered death, that in him God is making all things new, that he is the real and true king. But we must at all costs. We must have that hope at all costs. 
Put on the helmet of salvation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because hope, hope is the gift that we offer the world. Especially when it trusts in things which tear our world apart. The salt has lost its saltiness. How can it ever be regained? Hope is the gift that we can offer a hopeless and despairing world. And finally, pray for those you fear. Pray that you may know how to love them. Pray that you might persuade them to understand them. Because perfect love casts out fear. And perfect love is one of the things which makes a toxic environment for spiritual evil. It just can't exist. Where the Holy Spirit is, spiritual evil cannot flourish and thrive. And when you pray for those you fear, you are inviting the Holy Spirit into your life and into your relationships. Finally, pray against the evil one. Specifically rebuke his lies, his schemes, and his activities in our nation and in our world, in our lives, Rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Rebuke him in your life, in your home, and all the things that make you stay up at night. Many things, many things stand out when you worship in Rwanda. But I think the greatest is hope. Christians in Rwanda who have seen and experienced the most horrific evil you can imagine are also deeply hopeful people. Hopeful in a way that is very hard to even get your head around. It is a hope that drives and sustains them, a hope which makes them rebuke the lies of the devil, which invites despair and violence. They are deeply imperfect but they have hope. And friends, if our brothers and sisters in Rwanda can have hope and offer that hope as a gift to the world, if they can look into the eyes of evil and in the eyes of the devil and still put on truth, goodness, and love of their enemies, then we can too. Pray with me.